Okay, so imagine I'm doing a session with you. Um, I can hear in your voice that you breathe high. So the first thing that I would do is I'd put my hand on your head and pull your hair back and look into your eyes, place my hand on your chest, press downwards to see if I could get your breath deeper into your belly. And I would look and see if you're looking at me with the eyes of a child or the eyes of a rebel, the eyes of a competitor, the eyes of somebody who so badly wants to be ravished and start creating a scene. Now, there is this beautiful experience before a scene even begins, which is the interview. And that's where I get to test the possibilities of where I can go in a scene, what kinds of um, characters we can play, what kinds of physical experiences their body needs. Like a lot of women, um, they need pressure. They need, um, uh, like, imagine a whole body hug delivered by three people. Your lifelong passions, dreams, and aspirations. Your joys and creative spurs. Your femininity. Your success. All in one place. This is Girl Skill with your host, Anna Rova. Hi, girlfriends. Before you listen to this episode on Girl Skill Podcast, I quickly want to jump in and make you a personal recommendation for the goddess kit that comes from Rosie Rees, founder of Yoni Pleasure Palace and Naked Yoga, who's also been my guest on episode 31, which has been one of the top ever downloaded episodes on this podcast. So the goddess kit is actually a jade yoni egg and a rose quartz pleasure wand that comes in a beautiful black box with pouches for safekeeping. And it's really a self-pleasure, as a self-care practice. So the Yoni egg, you can think about it as weight for Kegel exercises. And what it does is it has amazing benefits to it. It strengthens your pelvic floor, which helps a lot with a weak bladder. It prevents prolapse. It rehabilitates the pelvic floor after childbirth, which is like my case. And since I've been using it, in fact, you know, after I interviewed Rosie, I said, you need to get this for me, for my husband. And so he bought it for me. And I've been using it and I have seen quite a few amazing results. And since then, I also have gifted it to my girlfriend friends. So besides all of these benefits, you'll also become more sensitive rather than numb to pleasure, switching on the vaginal nerve endings to be more receptive to internal orgasms. And it also helps with the lubrication, which particularly can occur for women who have hit menopause. So it's basically for all women, young or old, and think about it as a crossfit for your vagina. Another thing that's included in the goddess kit is the pleasure wand. And the pleasure wand is really a self-pleasure practice rather than, you know, using all these rubber and silicone vibrators to just get it off and it becomes a deeply nourishing practice you can put it under warm water use your favorite lubricant and it can enhance your internal orgasms so girlfriends i highly recommend you check it out go to girlskill.com pleasure and you'll read more about the whole kit and rosie has been very generous to offer a 15 percent discount for the pleasure kit but also you can use it in in her whole store so use girlskill at checkout code girlskill at check out. And again, go to girlskill.com slash pleasure to find out more about it. And now let's jump into this episode. Hi, girlfriends. Before you listen to this episode, I quickly wanted to tell you that this is one of the top ever listened episode on Girlskill. And to celebrate 100 episodes released, I decided to basically recycle the top three episodes on the podcast. So the links are still the same. Everything is still the same. And I thought I would just share this with you because these episodes are completely transformational and amazing. Enjoy. 
All right, girlfriends, uh, welcome to another episode of Girl Skill Podcast. Thank you for being here. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited uh, that you're joining us, um, especially this amazing episode that just totally blew my mind. All right, let's go into today's episode with Kasia Urbaniak. Oh my God, like this woman is literally either like a channel or an angel or like freaking out of this world. First of all, we talk about dominatrix. She has gone to the highest of the highest um, realms of being a dominator in the sex dungeons of New York. And uh, while at the same time, she was studying Taoism in um, some of the monasteries in China. So this is very kind of controversial, contradictory. Um, so it was a, such an interesting conversation, actually. And so during her journey, so we talked about all of this. I asked her a lot of questions about dominatrix because I personally am interested in, I'm sure you are interested in, and how does this work all worked? Um, what did she learn from it? And also her, we talked a little bit about her journey in the monastery and what kind of I was interested in like why why would you work in dominatrix <laughs> and she explains why and so we'll we'll hear what she learned from this but most importantly what Kasha is doing today she's the founder of and CEO of the academy a school that teaches women about power and power dynamics she has already helped hundreds of women step into leadership positions in their personal and professional lives. Her teachings, as I mentioned before, come of 10 years of uh, working as a dominatrix as well as pursuing Taoism uh, alchemy in one of the oldest female-led monasteries in China. And she has certifications in disciplines like medical Qigong, systematic constellations, and so on and so on. So we really talk about, I mean, it was such a fascinating conversation. We talk about the power dynamics and how power indeed is yours and as a woman uh, and I love this interview because Kasha is very clear that no one is making you feel powerless it is up to you to take the power and uh, be an equal in any negotiation whether you're doing it with a man whether you're doing it with a woman she also teaches women how to respond to men how to respond to sexual for example advances and so on and so on which is so helpful and I love her approach because it's coming from a powerful position even when she's dealing with difficult situation like uh, you know sexual harassment and so on and so on she's talking about a win-win situation. One of my favorite subjects and questions I asked uh, Kasia is we talk about the bittersweet victory of the independent woman, something that you will hear me say and talk about in the webinar in different terms. But I ask her what she means by that. And our messages are so aligned because she talks about how we all wanted in quote-unquote independence and then here is our bittersweet victory and how we all have to deal with this as women this is exactly what my webinar is about this is exactly what my coaching is about so I am sure that you'll really really enjoy this interview and I hope that you share it with everyone you know because Kasha's work is simply incredible all right I will let you listen to it we'll shut up <laughs> and I'll see you at the end Girl skill, female success redefined. Today on Girl Skill Podcast, I'm super excited to welcome Kasia Urbaniak. She's currently in uh, Paris, but um, normally based in in New York. So, Kasia, welcome to welcome to Girl Skill. I'm super excited to have you today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna get into some juicy subjects uh, in a couple of minutes. But before that, let's, as usual, start with our um, blitz questions. That's how I call it. Um, so, Kasha, tell me, what is your superpower? Oh, I have so many. 
<laughs> okay. Name a uh, couple then. <laughs> I see people's fears mm. and desires very easily. I read bodies very well. Um, I also have the superpower of um, living in a stream of constant coincidence and bringing to me the people that I most need and want. And um, my third superpower would be um, asking people to do things for me in a way that when they fulfill my request, it makes them happy. Hmm. That's definitely a superpower so many women need today, you know? <laughs> so maybe we can, we can learn from you a little bit. Maybe you can give us some tips. <laughs> Love that. Okay, awesome. Let's move on. Uh, Kasha, who is your girl crush? I might not have one right now. Mm, that's fine. Okay, let me rephrase then the question. Name one person dead or alive that you'd love to have dinner with. Oh, I'm, I would love to have dinner with um, Jodorowsky, Alejandro. Um, I would love to try to have dinner with him. He's, the, um, he's, a, he's a filmmaker and a tarot card reader and a magician. Ooh. And he uh, tried to make one of the um, uh, Dune movies, you know, the, Frank Herbert's book, Dune, the science fiction novel. I know you're a big fan of it. Yes, I have. It yeah. On. So one of his one of his one of his failed attempts <laughs> became a fantastic documentary. Oh. Uh, yeah, I would love okay. to meet him. Awesome. What is your biggest fear? Running out of time. Mm, okay. Uh, dying before I finish. Mm -hmm. As in, finish your mission. Yeah. Okay. We're going to talk about this in a couple of minutes. What is your astrological sign and how are you using it in your daily life? So uh, there's the standard astrology in which I am a cancer. And I also really like human design astrology, mm -hmm. um, which does not have the same common names. So I would be a, a generator hermetic martyr. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I know that, about human design, but I didn't know that human design has its own astrology. It is astrology. It's just a different approach to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, because it's based on like natal um, mm -hmm. mapping and all of that. But I didn't know it actually, well, not qualifies you, but um, also gives you some more characteristics than you know generator manifester and, and all of that oh yeah no it's rich it's very very complex mm. very very dense. okay awesome all right and last question kasha for you on a scale of one to ten how excited are you about life right now and why uh ten <laughs> uh because i'm living the life of my dreams and it's a constant stream of magic and um Basically, I'm so fucking grateful that I get to have this human experience. It's even uh, the details of it are less important than the privilege of having eyes and skin and getting to be human and have feelings. Mm, love it. So now please introduce yourself, Kasha, and I'd love to hear more about living the life of your dreams and the magic and your human experience. <laughs> So I'm Kasha Urbaniak, and I run a school for women called The Academy. 
and I teach women about power, power dynamics, and how to have what they want and love what they have, and how to work through some of the conditioning that um, most women on this earth are subject to from the moment they're born, um, how to overcome it, and how to live from a place that's spontaneous, fully self-expressed, really bold, natural, and powerful. My goodness, love it. This should, this should be the, the, the tagline of this podcast, indeed, because <laughs> I explore femininity and womanhood and um, love how you describe it. Awesome. Uh, so, Kasha, let me ask you, because this is the question I ask all women on the show, what is femininity for you? The word femininity is so loaded. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like saying, I love you. It never means the same thing to the same person twice. But I can tell you something just about being born a biological woman is that I am very aware of the privilege of being the holder of the role of giving birth and continuing life, even though I myself will likely not have children. Um, how my entire uh, being and position in the world is set because of this. Um, Looking at femininity from a different angle, uh, I'm not sure what to make of it. There are characteristics ascribed to the feminine that are emotional or sensual. Um, I'd like those qualities to be deemed more universal and um, not inherently in the category of the feminine because I think what this world needs men and women and all of us is a lot more intimacy, human contact, embodiment, connection with the body, sensual awareness, awareness of our surroundings, awareness of how all things are interconnected, um, an ability to feel what's alive and recognize what's dead, what no longer serves, um, the ability to see what needs to be watered with our attention in order to grow, uh, basically orienting all of humanity towards a worship of life and um, being really cautious and aware of where our death drive comes in. So uh, the death drive is ascribed to the masculine and this sensual worship of life is ascribed to the feminine. And I think it would be really lovely if we were all more oriented towards life and not giving that characteristic um, and also shoving it in a drawer with all of the things we hate about what we think female behavior is. Love it. Uh, beautiful. Very, very wise words, Kashin, as you're speaking. I'm like, is she channeling some sort of a <laughs> universal truth or wisdom here? Because I don't, I don't get to hear um, that often. And, and I mean, I have different kinds of guests, right? And it's clear that you have been on on a journey and are still on the journey which is magical yes, so um, <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about it in a second but let me ask you another question I ask all women on the show is uh, do you consider yourself successful and why oh my goodness yes I am outrageously successful mm-hmm. 
um, I have developed the discipline, two disciplines um, that I think make life worth living and make me successful every day. And the first discipline is the relentless willingness to pour my heart into whatever I do so fully that it's susceptible to breaking. I put myself in a position of heartbreak as often as I can. If my heart can't be broken by what it is that I'm attempting to do, it's not worth doing. Um, the second thing is I don't have a routine. And this sounds like anti-discipline, but it's not because the discipline of making choices moment by moment in accordance with what feels absolutely precisely right is one of the most difficult and rewarding things a human being can do. Both of those things together daily make me successful and outrageously successful, whether I'm successful at hosting the absolutely perfect dinner party or uh, dressing in a way that makes me feel great or giving a lecture to 500 people. On the external level, I'm outrageously successful <laughs> because I, um, my life purpose, my job, and who I am are all exactly the same thing. So there is no failure for me. There's only success. Mm, because it's, it, it is all in alignment with who truth. I can't fail being me. <laughs> and if being me is my job, mm -hmm. and speaking my truth is my job, and uh, doing my favorite thing in the world, which is seeing others and speaking to them about them and moving through life with them, if this is, uh, these things are so fundamental, fundamental to my nature, if being me is my job, I cannot fail it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I want to clarify the, the first thing that you mentioned, you know, if it's not heartbreaking or you're not ready for a heartbreak, you said, if it's not, it's not worth it. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? Okay, so let me clarify. It's not, if it's not heartbreaking, it's not worth it. If I'm not putting my heart at risk, if I'm not putting myself in a position where my heart can't break, right? If I already know my heart is unbreakable, it means I'm doing something I don't care enough about. I haven't put my heart into it deeply enough. Mm -hmm. And when you say heartbreak, what do you mean by that? Because I think it could mean different things to different people, right? Ask any person who's experiencing heartbreak. <laughs> <laughs> they know when they're feeling it. You're completely fucked, you know? You feel like everything is shattering. Mm. It's a beautiful state. Yeah, but so many of us are afraid of it or running away from it, you know? We should, I mean, be, we don't should be running towards it. It's the only place where rapture lives. It's the only place where ecstasy lives. I'm not talking about self-destruction. I'm talking about doing shit you give a fuck about, that you're willing to feel frightened, feel disappointed, feel devastated when it doesn't work out. If you're willing to put your heart into something that deeply, it's actually, paradoxically, one of the only ways to not have heartbreak happen because you're so satisfied in the doing that the outcome doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. 
And so how do you personally move through that? I understand it completely. I just follow the things I love and I don't do anything else. And there are so many things that people do that I'm supposed to do that I just don't do. I don't do, it's almost impossible for me to do something I don't want to do. It's almost impossible for me to do something I don't care about. I try and it doesn't work. I can't do it. So in the pursuit of the things that I most care about and love, as unrealistic, naive, or delusional as they may sound, as long as I'm alive and inspired, I know I'm going in the right direction. And I know that like the, the, um, everything makes itself available to me in that state. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of a situation that you have poured your heart into and then let's say there was a devastation or um, you know, a state that you're talking about, how you push through it or like, you know, what were the realizations there or what have you come to in the end? It's a constant arc. It's not like, um, it's not like a story where I want something, I go for it, I don't get it. And then my heart is broken. It's like when I'm, when I'm in, a, in a classroom with a student and I'm going through it with them and I'm, I'm, I'm there with them and I feel them and we're moving through a really difficult space and I am absolutely feeling everything they're feeling, but I know that we have to move forward. It's, it's like that. It's like the, the um, even, just, even just like loving this world and being very, very aware of how fucked it is right now and wanting so much for something better is both pouring my heart into my life and totally fucking heartbreaking. It's just both at the same time. It's incredible. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like a, um, we are sitting at this huge, beautiful banquet table and everyone is starving. There's so much beauty and so much life everywhere. And um, the deprivation and starvation is so intense. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. We're all waiting for that, for that um, beautiful, delicious dinner, hey? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're looking for that meal. Except it's right <laughs> fucking here. Yeah, yeah. We just need to 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 know how to how to get to it, and so hopefully with this conversation, Kasha, me, and um, all of the listeners will will get one step closer to it. So let's switch gears a little bit, and I want to talk about dominatrix. Um, and I know you've probably talked about it so much, and and but but, but and you know you might have to repeat yourself here a little bit. But you are the first. Actually, guest. I haven't. Really. Okay. Yeah, there's very little, very little uh, talk. Uh, there's a mention of my experiences in the dungeon, but um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you you mostly talk about the power and in, in your work currently. Yeah. Okay, cool, awesome. So let's talk about this. So I'll share with you my experience. Obviously, the whole dominatrix was introduced to my world, like to millions of women, and I know. Uh, I think you know what I'm talking about is through the Fifty Shades of Grey, which is like such a cheesy way of portraying the whole thing personally I think and then through this uh through these books I have um found the story of O I don't know if you're familiar with with that and this is this has completely blown my mind and I understood that 50 shades of gray is nothing um compared to that and so and so I'm kind of well. I don't. I don't know if I'm familiar with it. I guess I for just from that book, it, like that for me was the true, you know, subdom and whatever happens in the dungeon and Fifty Shades of Grey is nothing. So I'm curious about 
your experience. Um, I know that you got into dominatrix for the money and to make a living out of it. Um, so I'm curious about, yeah, the story of how you got to it and really how was the experience? What did you learn? And if you can share some stories with us, um, I think that would be amazing. I'm assuming you were, you know, a lot of men were coming to you to fulfill their pleasures, fantasies, their deepest, darkest desires, and you were there with a whip, I suppose, and fulfilling those desires for money. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm right or not, but I'm very curious to, to, to hear what you have to say. Well, first, um, I don't think at the time I was aware of how insane it is that we ask in America uh, of 18-year-olds to come up with hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a college education. Looking back, I think it's kind of insane. But yeah, I started for that reason. And um, I didn't quite find what I was expecting. You mean in college or in, in domination? So you start because you wanted to pay for your education? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I had to... Um, my, my education had lots of interruptions. And um, one of the things I was doing was I was studying Taoism. Um, and I was pursuing it very, very, very seriously. Taoism as in the um, Chinese spiritual practice that gave birth to Chinese medicine. Chinese martial arts, the Tao Te Ching. <laughs> um, so mm -hmm. in studying to be a Taoist, it also meant uh, learning how to diagnose people, heal people, how to fight, how to meditate. And um, it was, it's a very beautiful tradition that has a lot to offer. And as I was studying, um, one of the great things about making money <laughs> is you can afford to fly places and study with really great teachers. Um, so I was, I was going through this period of time where I was working in the dungeon, going to college and also flying around the world to study with Taoist masters. And, um, awesome. the, sounds like a great story. The, the <laughs> cross pollination of those things was really profound. I mean, the, the thing is that the first mm -hmm. thing was I had this moment, um, where I was, it was pretty early on and I was in the dungeon and I was doing a session and I had this naked man in front of me and I suddenly realized that he didn't know my real name and I didn't know his real name. His name was probably fake too. And um, we were these two bodies in a room where everything spoken was imagined, essentially a lie, right? Everything is, is, is invented. Um, I am his governess. I am his teacher. I am his master. I am his mother. I am his nurse. I am what, whatever, whatever it is, it's made up. And um, I had this sudden feeling that this was one of the most extraordinary laboratories for human identity. Because our identities and our stories were not present in the room. Um, this, was, this was after I had been on a long retreat in China. And I still had that very um, hyper-accentuated momentum, that the, the perception. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're practicing and um, studying to be able to read people's bodies and see where they're 
where their energy is stagnant or flowing, where their illnesses are, if their liver is depleted or whatever. It's, it's so much attention. You're putting so much attention on a person that I feel, I felt like in that moment I was seeing him in hyper real colors. And it was so extraordinary to be witnessing a human being that's completely naked of identity, of name, of role. And we're making it up. We're making it up as we go along. We're making it up and I'm leading it. And I found myself um, doing this particular session in such an extraordinary way where every sentence that I landed in his body had such a profound effect. I could see it. It was like, I was like one phrase after another. It was the, you know, the first thing was um, he was very agreeable. And, and I was looking for a place where he was rebelling. So um, I would, I called his chin rebellious. It was absurd and ridiculous. And I, and I saw something and I called it out. It was like, was that rebellious or was that ashamed? You like to do a good job, don't you? You like being really good. You like being really good, don't you? And it, it started moving towards like, the mother space of him obeying his mother. And then the next thing you know, we're in this very different space where uh, we're like two kids on a playground and we're play fighting and I'm the girl who kicks his ass. And it, it, it was one of those sessions where it was like 17 sessions in one. So many things happened. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the inspiration was entirely based on watching what was happening to his psychology, to his emotional body, to his physical body, to his erotic body, what was happening moment by moment by moment. Most of our interaction was in the realm of speech and it was so fucking hot and it was so crazy because I felt like like both of our bodies dissolved. We were just energy. It was so clear to me after that session that something had happened in that room that would continue to stay with me for the rest of my life. Um, I walked out of that session so blown open and seeing so clearly how much effort it takes to perform being a human being that's unnecessary and how essential, how how easy it is to see what we all essentially need and want and how we're moving. And how so much of our social conditioning is an absolute fucking betrayal of that. So there was this, mm. this beautiful period of maybe about 10 years where the um, practices that I was studying and this laboratory of the dungeon were informing each other. Um, I started to see really clearly that one informed the other, one strengthened the other. And it's totally crazy and weird. Like I was on the road to being a Taoist nun uh, I stopped four days before getting ordained as a Taoist nun um, at the same time that I was becoming a very successful dominatrix. So polar opposites, but they so beautifully strengthened and complemented one another. Mm, that's incredible. So let me, I mean, what, what you're describing to me, it almost seems like it's like therapy on steroids in a way. You know, therapy approaches people like they have a problem and they're sick. And one of the things that's beautiful about the dungeon is you approach everybody's fetish or shameful sexuality or desire or problem, not as something to be healed, but something to be celebrated and moved into a new place. One of, one of, the, one of the things that's, um, that I really insist upon when, now as a teacher is that people don't think of this 
school as a place to come get healed. Because that already makes the assumption that they're broken. And people are not broken. People are not broken. They're not, there's nothing wrong with most of the people that I come across. There's nothing wrong there. They, um, the, uh, the self-esteem of human beings in general is, is, is unnecessarily and ridiculously low. And the habit of self-attack and self-judgment and self-criticism instead of self-celebration is such a huge problem. It makes this world so much less fun and beautiful than it could be. Mm. Where do you think that that comes from? Because it's in all of us. It's a Judeo-Christian bias. It's morality. Mm. Morality is actually a problem. Like we think we get the right to say what's good and bad. And once you decide something's bad, uh, it seems like you have control over it and power over it, but you don't. The moment you disconnect from something, dehumanize something, you have no say in it anymore. Saying violence is bad did not decrease war. Saying that uh, extramarital sex is bad or sex for pleasure is bad has us live in a world of porn. Saying greed is bad has us live in a world that has one of the most greedy and unbalanced economic systems in all of history. It's like... uh, Mm-hmm. It's much wiser to look at things and say, how can I use this better? How can I take this and make this useful? How can I make this beautiful? How can I alchemize this? What purpose could this serve that's better than the one that it has now? Because I, I think all vices are virtues misplaced and all virtues mm-hmm. are potentially vices. There's... um no good we don't have a lot of facility with using qualities well when it comes to good and bad so we think we can decide that something that's true about us inside of us is bad and that if we decide that it's bad um, and disconnect from it as much as possible then we'll be good and we'll belong and it doesn't work it just makes us amputate ourselves it doesn't work mm-hmm. it doesn't make for a whole powerful, radiant, loving human beings. It makes for crippled, repressed, angry, and uh, accidentally or intentionally dangerous and violent human beings. Yeah, absolutely. I guess, you know, when, when we look at thousands and thousands of years of history, it's, it's mostly how humans try to make sense of the world, try to create communities, establish some rules. You know, there's this thing of like, we can't deal with chaos or something that's, we, we, we have this, I guess, inherent need to control. And it's just thousands of thousands of years of putting all these rules and conditions and, and you know, whatever has, is happening to us today is is the result of all of that. And we're all like walking around, not, not, not really broken. This is the human experience, but we're like, there's so, you're right. There's so, so much self-judgment and self-criticism and, and all of that is just played out in the world, whether in politics, whether in feminism, whether in patriarchy, whether in, you know, Absolutely. human interactions. Absolutely. You totally get it. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Hi, girlfriends. So sorry to interrupt this awesome episode on Girl Skill, but I quickly wanted to jump in and tell you about Magellan TV, who is the sponsor of Girl Skill Podcast, and I'm highly, highly excited to be recommending them. And if you know me, you know that I would never recommend something that I wouldn't use myself or I wouldn't like. So let me tell you about them. Magellan TV is a new type of documentary streaming provider determined to bring you the finest documentaries from around the globe. It's actually built by documentary filmmakers. Me and my husband have signed up for a trial and we've already watched a couple of documentaries like he really loved the one on North Korea and like cyber attacks and all of that. Magellan actually has the playlist on women in history, breaking barriers. And so I watched a documentary on Nadia Comaneci, who was an Romanian Olympian medalist. I watched the series on Ekaterina the Great and many more and I really love it. And, you know, if you're looking for an alternative to Netflix, because sometimes I do, I'm like so tired of all these silly TV shows or sometimes I can't find any thing. I mean, this is a great, great alternative while you watch something, but you also learn a lot. So the documentaries on Magellan TV can be watched anytime, anywhere. You know, they're streamed without interruptions, meaning no ads. They're compatible with iOS and Android devices and all of that. They offer documentary movies and series and exclusive playlists and genres include history, science, space, nature, and more. So highly recommend you go check it out. And they actually are offering an exclusive two-month trial for free to anyone who's interested at magellantv.com slash girlskills. So it's M-A-G-E-L-L-A-N-T-V.com slash girlskill. And the link is on the show notes already. So go ahead, check it out, sign up for a free trial for two months. There's nothing to lose, everything to gain, you know, watching documentaries, learning a lot. All right, now back to the episode. So I have a couple of questions, Kasia, uh, about the dominatrix. I mean, you, you talk so beautifully about everything, right? And your experience and everything, but I'm still curious about. So let me, let me ask you this, first of all, is how, how did you make the decision to get into it? Um, because there, there are many options, right, to, to, to make money. Um, so, so, for example, you could go and be a waitress, a bartender, or do whatever, whatever else. Um, it doesn't make nearly as much money. I mean, I could have been a hooker, but I didn't have the guts. Uh, Yeah. Were you ashamed at any point? Was there anything as in like guilt or or some sort of... Because I don't know if I could... Like, I'm thinking, would I be be able to do this? And I'm like, oh, shit. I I don't think I I would. So I'm curious about what... What, what gave you the courage or the bravery to just, just go for it and then get involved with, with this whole industry? Well, there were two things. Um, I was fucking terrified. I was really scared. My first session was a disaster. After my first session, I, it was so, it was, I was so bad at it. I, was, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I went and I got a video of, of a dominatrix. I wrote down every fucking word she said for an hour. I memorized every single line before I went back in the next day. And I, had, I, was, I was like kind of a geek. I really, really, really prepared. I really tried to figure it out. And, you know, and, and I drew inspiration from all kinds of places. I'm going to get really good at this. I have to figure this out. I have to figure this out. Um, one of my biggest inspirations mm-hmm. was Cesar Milan, like the dog whisperer. He, I had some of my biggest breakthroughs reading his book. He's talking about training dogs. And yeah. I learned so much about training men by how he talks about training dogs. <laughs> but, uh, but another thing that I don't really talk about very often is um, I had a father figure uh, who was a famous writer. Um, he was my mother's lover. And um, he uh, he took his life when I was a teenager. 
Um, and he was a huge inspiration to me. And he was a very controversial writer who was, as I later found out after his death, very much in the uh, BDSM scene and this into sadomasochistic mm-hmm. activities in New York City. So I had this like thing in the back of my mind that if I got into this world, I would, I would learn more about this father figure of mine um, as an adult. And, you know, I did. I met people who knew him and told me stories. And wow. it was incredible because I felt like a detective. You know, here was this incredibly powerful figure in my life, um, a beautiful influence who believed that I was a child prodigy writer and um, himself was so provocative and controversial and so fascinating. And then suddenly he kills himself and he's gone. And then there's this period of, of time, you know, he's all, he was also like pretty well known for um, being a master of disguise. So he loved to wear disguises um, and completely transform how he looked and walk through the, street, through the streets of New York City. He was uh, re- uh, pretty well known when I was young. Um, and after he killed himself, I would look around and I was absolutely convinced that he didn't actually kill himself. He was playing a trick on us all. He was playing the the, the biggest fuck you trick he could think of. And that I, you know, I yeah, I had the I had so my mother passed away when I was really young. I was eight, and um, I mean, you were a teenager back then. But I, I I don't know if we have these thing about our you know pe- people who influence us deeply in our life. But I. I think for a couple of years, I actually thought it didn't happen, yeah. that she would just show up and I would look for her in the streets. And I, I actually believe that this whole thing is set up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. such a bizarre experience, I, I you know? know? I didn't know anybody else had that. I totally had that. Like, yeah, yeah, it yeah it's weird. So, so yeah. it was also kind of interesting because, you know, uh, when I did, when I was um, kind of like making my way through that very strange New York underworld, I, um, you know, he was a master of disguise. Everybody was wearing disguises. Every, it, it just, it really felt like uh, a detective novel in which I was searching for a father um, while dominating men. <laughs> it was really, um, I think that that might've been one of the things that, to answer your question that gave me more yeah. courage to, um, to pursue. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, also just so, to be fair, like at the time, like to make that much money, my choices were to be a dominatrix or a hooker. And like, how, how much money are we talking about? Well, I got really good at making money as a dominatrix. So I probably made maybe like a hundred times more than the average dominatrix. Um, uh, but we, but like at that time, you have to remember it was like 20 years ago. You, the starting, the starting rate was about a hundred dollars an hour. So that's the starting rate. Yeah. So that's like, okay. and then if you're an independent, independent dominatrix in those times, you could charge $800 an hour or whatever. I, I went way beyond that, but, but, uh, mm-hmm. um, you can't do that bartending. Yeah, absolutely. So is it really in, in like, in like the eyes wide shut, you know, the movie where Tom Cruise walks around with like the, the mask and, and all of that. And what, what happens in, in a session? So if you could a little bit give us a glimpse of that world, because I'm, I'm really curious about, and you know, men pay so much money and we're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars per hour to experience it. It's, it's a little bit bizarre. Like what, why, why do you think they do that? Why can't they, 
do this, let's say, in their bedrooms or, or whatever, because this is like a heightened version of BDSM, I suppose. So I'm, I'm so curious about this. As you said, it's psychological. It's something, it's something so bizarre to me and, and mysterious and exciting at the same time. <laughs> What's your question? Yeah, I'm like throwing in 10 questions. So how does, if you could describe to us, how does a session look like? Okay, so imagine I'm doing a session with you. Mm -hmm. Um, I can hear in your voice that you breathe high. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that I would do is I'd put my hand on your head and pull your hair back and look into your eyes, place my hand on your chest, press downwards to see if I could get your breath deeper into your belly. And I would look and see if you're looking at me with the eyes of a child or the eyes of a rebel, the eyes of a competitor, the eyes of somebody who so badly wants to be ravished, Mm. and start creating a scene. Now, there is this beautiful experience before a scene even begins, which is the interview. And... That's where I get to test the possibilities of where I can go in a scene, what kinds of um, characters we can play, what kinds of physical experiences their body needs. Like a lot of women, um, they need pressure. They need um, uh, like imagine a whole body hug delivered by three people. Um, (laughs) We carry our, our... some, some, that's not true of all, right? Like the, the effect that being pierced or poked or cut or, or, or spanked or slapped or sat on or pressed or bound, all of those have different impacts. Um, they, have, uh, they create different psychological states. They create different physical experiences. We carry so much undigested energy in our bodies and so much pressure. So, okay, so let's imagine a session. Um, for somebody, let's say a man, um, it might be that his sexuality um, is longing to be expressed through something that fascinated him when he was a teenager or a young boy. Um, so we talk a little bit about that. I ask him some provocative questions and we can we start to build a scene. And so the... Um, the incredible range of what's possible in a scene and even the unpredictability in where it ends up um, is so vast that it becomes difficult to even answer a question like that. Like, am I going to dress him like a priest? Am I going to um, uh, be a superhero? And um, am I going to inspect him? Am I going to make him work for something, prove himself? Is he going to win um, mm. or is he going to fail? Does he need to fail? Does he need to break down into tears as a failure and have that experienced and be nurtured through it or be punished for it and feel like he has to uh, strengthen himself up again? Um, the, uh, the similarities and differences in dominating men and women are also really interesting. Um, but I think all human beings really in this culture and in this time and in this age long deeply, deeply to be seen, not for what they do, but for who they are, to be seen and to be, um, 
to have their imagination activated and to feel erotically alive and be in a place of uh, both mystery, you know, suspense, but also feel like they're in absolutely fucking great hands that they can go to an edge, but know that they will land safely to feel an edge of danger, but knowing that they will not be crushed. Um, this, mm-hmm. this is the, the, you know, the cocoon in which all of the magic happens. They have to feel my authority is absolute and they are absolutely at the end of the day, no matter what we do, safe so that we can explore all of the theatrics, all of the emotions, all of the erotic possibilities. And what's really interesting about this on a really, really basic level, and I said this before, I was just like, I could have been a hooker or a dominatrix. What's really interesting (laughs) is that in an hour-long session, you're not allowed to have sex. You're not allowed to have sexual contact. Try Mm -hmm. spending an hour putting attention on someone, getting them really excited, but not kissing them not fucking Mm -hmm. them. An hour is actually a lot of time to fill with erotic energy without, most people don't even have that experience with foreplay. Yeah. So, um, the other day I was in the, in the bedroom with my husband and, um, (laughs) you know, and we're all, we're all so conditioned for the goal to have in the bedroom, a goal, a sex is a goal. And I'm like, can we, can we do this for like an hour without a goal? And he just looked at me (laughs) like he didn't understand what the fuck I just told him. He's like, what, what do you mean? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know. I just want to be with you here now with your skin on the bed where we caress each other. We don't even touch each other. And I'm like, don't start with the center as in like my vagina. That is the last thing you want to touch, you know? But obviously like we, and and I'm I'm doing embodiment work, by the way. I'm training in uh, feminine embodiment coaching. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing what I'm discovering. He just looks at me. He's like, what? Yeah. (laughs) It's just so funny. Yeah. Yeah, but but wait, wait, wait. wait. You you just said something so, so, so. Okay. Important. So yeah, because the, the 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 gift you're giving to him is tremendous. First through you, for you, and then to him, it's this um this sensual aliveness, not sexual, sensual aliveness, mm-hmm. yeah. that awakens the most blessed part of the animal in us, that has us have instincts and intuition that are healthy for the planet. I I, I this is this is like one of the most important things that you just sort of accidentally opened up right now just by talking about being in bed. <laughs> but no, it's so, so important. Like what, yeah. what I see when I look at the world is the animal of people's bodies is asleep and dead. So we can't tell mm. when we're being lied to. We can't tell which politician is full of shit. We can't tell if a mansion is going to make us happy or a beach hut is going to make us happy. We make decisions that are disembodied. And this whole space in which there is sensuality but no sex is one way for human beings to start bringing their animal bodies to life so that they don't need a diet in order to know what food they need to eat to be their ideal weight and healthy. So that they don't need a religion to know God. So they don't need an ideology to know who to vote for. So they don't need a decorator or a travel agent or fucking a psychologist. They don't need any of because they know how to move through life. Our bodies, when we're connected, mind, heart, and body, when we're connected fully through, we always know 
everything we need to know in the moment. I remember when the uh, big tsunami hit, I think it was like Sri Lanka, maybe I'm fucking it up right now, but it was like 2002. Um, And I just remember just one of these facts that we hear about often, but this time it really struck me that all of the animals knew to go to higher ground way before the tsunami hit. What makes us human animals so fucking stupid that we don't have that faculty anymore? And it's the reason we have a floating island of plastic in the ocean. Our bodies are dead, so we can't see these basic things. Like, we suck at being human beings. And I'm, you know, it may sound so crazy. Here is this woman teaching female empowerment who used to be a dominatrix, (laughs) whose mission is to teach human beings how to be animals again so that the whole earth gets healed. Like, it seems nonsensical, but it also, body-wise, is the only fucking thing that makes sense to me. So when you're lying in bed with your husband and going, I want to feel your skin, first you're giving yourself the greater experience of having a human body and being alive, training your own heart, mind, and body to be connected, to be alive and awake, and bringing your partner into that state, educating him to have the same faculties that the brilliance of nature has. And, and you know, this, 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 you know, I am, I am absolutely a child of the two paths that I followed. Taoism is a path where it, the Tao means the way. It's it means nature. It means following the life force. And they talk about the three bodies: the physical body, the emotional body, and the mental body. So, of course, as a Taoist, I brought that into the fucking dungeon and dominated <laughs> and 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 explored in that same way and found that because I was in a space of prolonged sensuality without sex, you know, sometimes I would do. Um, 10 hours of sessions in a row. The amount of erotic energy, the amount of wild imagination and, you know, heart opening catharsis and emotions and and ideas. Like I, I was in a space where I was constantly practicing the three bodies without a fucking orgasm, without touching a dick, right? Without any of that, like this huge, huge gift I got of this sustained laboratory that I got to explore being a human animal over and over and over again. And and feeling like this is the fucking solution. This is what people are missing. People are eating the wrong food. People are being lied to. They're doing jobs they don't care about. They're picking partners for the wrong reasons. They've lost some fundamental body-based wisdom that it's time for us to regain. And sensuality is one of the ways the other, one of the other ways, you know, one of the reasons I deal so much in the school with women's power and power dynamics is women, for whatever reason, maybe we can thank a millennia of subjugation, but for whatever reason, women um, have, tend to have more access to their emotional and physical body. They tend to feel more. They tend to. We can have a thousand theories about why is it biochemistry? Is it because yeah. well, because we've had to be self-aware and self-conscious? Is it because we give birth? Is it because whatever? I don't give a shit what the reason is. The tendency is there. So if my feeling is if we get women leading and being incredibly powerful from a place where they're that connected, 
then we stand a much greater chance of awakening the wisdom of the animal body in all human beings. So we're living in modern society without going back to some primitive fantasy, but in modern society as alive and awake people making decisions based on the reality that we feel through our bodies moment by moment by moment. A well-attuned, intuitive, instinctive uh, human being. Um, that's what we fucking need. And so, okay, so, so then there's this, this, this millennia of conditioning um, that turns out it's actually not that hard to break. And once a woman breaks her good girl bullshit and starts seeing how privileged other people are to be maybe even dominated by her, especially when she's connected to her erotic wisdom, to her body wisdom. Um, we have a world led by badass bitches who are teaching people to feel. Uh, a world where empathy is not a weakness. Uh, a world where... What is needed next is fully felt and honored and followed. I think it's one of the best ways to organize society. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything, you know, I, I feel like we're doing the same work, but on a different dimension, because this whole feminine embodiment coaching that I'm doing and the training that I'm going through now it has opened me up in so many different ways. And, you know, the, actually the Girl Skill brand, I'm not sure if you managed to look at the website, but it's all connected to the wolves, to the women who run with the wolves. And when I read the, the book by <clears throat> Clarissa Pinkola-Stess, it was the inspiration for me to start this whole thing because I instinctively understood that we are so disconnected. And, you know, my, my work with women is like, let's get back and connect to that, to those instincts. And Kasha, you don't know this, but I'm pregnant with, I'm four months pregnant now. Wow. And yeah. It's, 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 it, and, and it was crazy because as soon as I stepped into this embodiment work, I think a month or two later, I got pregnant and all of the women in our group and my coach are like, this is freaking amazing because, and it, it is indeed because I am even deeper connected now with my body. And you can't imagine how every day I'm looking at my breasts who are just growing by themselves, you know, filling up with whatever milk hormones. I'm looking at my belly and I'm at my hips widening up and I've never been connected to my... And I'm like, oh my God, I am an animal, you know? And I feel like there's so few people who, I mean, even, even women who get pregnant, but, but are not doing this work and, you know, dropping from the head. All we need to do as women is like get from the fucking head into the heart, into the womb. That's the work. And, and it's incredible what's happening to me and how much more in tune I am with my body. And so I completely, I mean, I, everything you're telling me right now is, is, is so in tune with, with, with what I'm doing with my work and why we're here with you today. Cause I'm like, geez, why are we so focused on the external on the, on the, Oh, I don't even want to go there. And what I love about your work is that uh, let's, let's perhaps switch to, to, to power and, and, and the work you, you're doing with women, because you mentioned something, you know, when a woman is in her power and you're teaching women to actually work with their bodies and I don't know how and why, but inherently I, I, I have that and I've, I've developed that, um, you know, perhaps through my childhood, as I told you, you know, I lost my mother and I had a very tough journey. 
Um, but I, what I love about your work and you are like, you have a workshop called cornering Harvey, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but, and, and you're working with these women in very high positions and CEOs. And that is my, my quest, actually, my mission is to redefine female success. And I deep down inside of me know that there is a way to lead in a fem, in a more feminine way, in an instinctual way. And what you said, you know, teaching people how to feel like they're badass bitches out there, like you and me, we're teaching people especially women how to feel more and how to lead in a feminine way and and I love your work because you're getting you're accessing these women and you're teaching them all of this but without telling them that men are to blame or the patriarchy to blame I'm so fucking tired of this word notion whatever and you say you start your workshops with actually honoring the patriarchy and I love how you also celebrate men and masculinity and all of that so you this this whole thing plays and when i was listening to your interviews i'm like fucking yes this is what we need i don't want a futurist female i want it both i want a human experience you know it's not about us versus them when it has become us there's versus them so i love the approach that you're doing because you're starting with cornering harvey right so you're giving them what they want I suppose, but then you're giving them what they need actually in your workshops. I don't see a contradiction because the, the I, mm -hmm. I do I do think patriarchy is a problem, but patriarchy as defined by psycho psycho emotional virus that both men and women carry. Like we all like mm -hmm. the patriarchy is not carried by men; it's carried by women as much as by men, if not more. And we can use different words, you know, we can, we can call it different things, but um, the, um, the masculine on the planet is super wounded right now. It may be like in charge, you know, men may have lots of positions of power, but what's happening right now, um, I think the, uh, it's a mistake to overlook that when there's a shift um, when there's a shift in power, when there's a shift in energy, when there's a shift in how things are, all of the different um, participants, all of the different, whether it's men, women, um, all everyone's affected. You can't really make long-lasting, profound change unless you consider everyone. Uh, Getting revenge on men is like fighting for crumbs. It's too small a vision. It's too petty. We can do much, much better than that, um, mm -hmm. including everyone making them allies and like transforming how human, how human beings relate to one another. That's a vision worth waking up for in the morning. Yeah, but you absolutely. know, but you know, like we don't call it cornering Harvey anymore. But the verbal self defense uh, <laughs> curriculum is really important uh -huh. because women withhold so much women censor the fuck out of themselves women due to maybe m millennia of trauma social conditioning whatever the point is like one of the first things to do is to teach women verbal self-defense so they feel more access to radical self-expression to honesty to leadership and the um 
the self-inhibition of speech is so intense that sometimes it's even invisible. Sometimes it's not invisible. Like a woman knows she's not saying what's on her mind. Other times she doesn't even know she's not. She, I mean, the right to fucking speak. Yeah, I mean, we have to take into account women are not free on this planet. Like it's just a few privileged countries and it's just started like 50 years ago less, you know, in some countries, 100 years ago, uh, this whole thing is new. We were property. We didn't get to vote. We didn't get to uh, yeah. uh, have jobs. And in a lot of the country, on a lot of the planet, we still are property. So, you know, like, it's hard for us to realize and to have respect for the fact that all this shit is really fucking new. We're just starting. Um, and uh, it matters that the that the part of the population that gets pregnant and gives birth um, is essentially in slave conditions and considered property in a huge, huge percentage of the planet. And in the, plan, and, and in the percentage of the planet where we are free, we're still psychologically changed, chained because it, this transitions only started to happen like five minutes ago, if you think of all of human history. <laughs> so, you know, like... You and I are here on this planet in this time, um, and we're going to do our part to, um, to like, make it more fucking juicy and fun and hot and embodied and powerful and, uh, you know, yeah. explore and make mistakes around words like femininity or misunderstanding, understanding gender. You know, one way we look at it, and then five years later, we look at it a totally different way. What was sexual harassment? You know, um, what's sexual harassment today was flirting 20 years ago, like... <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. So, so like, there, there is a space for um, both being fucking fierce and bold in the changes we want to see, and also keeping in perspective that um, we're just getting started. This is all new. Yeah. We're like infants. We're trying to figure out what being a man means, being a woman means, being transgendered means. Also, like, what the fuck are romantic relationships for, marriages for, what are... Yeah, they, 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 these, these are new questions that we didn't have to ask ourselves, um, you know. And we have the yeah. privilege. We have the, we have the privilege. You and I have the privilege of being fucking confused about it, exploring it, and then having lots of smart answers and leading people. Like, <laughs> like hey, guys, I found this out. Check this out. <laughs> Hey guys, yeah, I think or this works. That. You know, like body, <laughs> feminine embodiment coaching works. And I'm like, power dynamics. Like, check this out. I learned this in the, in the dungeon. Like, this is, this is how I get to have a magical life. This is how I get to feel really powerful and get what I want. Like, hey, try this. Like, I might be one of the first yeah. in my, I, you know, I feel like I'm the first generation in my family ancestry that gets to have, gets to have what I want. I get to have what I want. I, I don't think my mother or her mother or her mother's mother had any of the privileges I have. And I intend to make full, outrageously indulgent use of them. I intend to take advantage of every single privilege I have that they did not in their fucking name. Like every time I party in my life, I'm like, this is for my female ancestors. You didn't get to do this. I do. I get to have a harem of beautiful men. I get to have, uh, you know, <laughs> I get to have world travel and write books, and I get to speak outrageously and offend people, and I get to have uh, unconventional sexual relationships, and I get to wear crazy clothes, and I'm not getting burned at the stake. I'm not getting stoned to death. I'm not being forced to be married or 
anything I don't want to do. I don't have to, like, you know, I can eat cake for breakfast. I don't have to brush my teeth. Like I basically can do whatever the fuck I want. And I don't know any previous generation that got to do that. Absolutely. You know, I always say whenever I go on podcasts or I work with women, I'm like, this is such a fucking incredible time for women. Never have we had so much opportunity, well, quote unquote, freedom or possibility to do whatever the fuck we want. And you're right. You just described it. So I've shifted that perspective and I live in the, I live in the mentality and the space of possibility. And I so much appreciate it. And I would love for more and more women to see that instead of, as you mentioned before, the, the revenge, the everything, how everything is so fucked up and blah, 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 whatever. Um, so, Kasha, I have this question for you, uh, which I find is very important. It relates to everything we're talking about. You talk about the bittersweet, the bittersweet uh, victory of the independent woman. What is that victory and why is it bittersweet? Well, I think, um, you know, we're talking about in the span of human history, moving from, let's just say, a move where women all had to be submissive um, and now can have dominant positions, positions of authority. Um, a lot of women, what they're doing is they're taking on having positions of authority and leadership. Um, and still accommodating and doing a lot of the um, taking on a lot of this is this is not this is not super accurate. I want to say they're both dominant and submissive at the same time. But what I what I actually mean is um, they're doing a lot of the things that men previously always did and mm -hmm. only men did, but without the support that men had, like. Up, uh, yeah, up until really recently, like the, the, the best thing you could hope for in your life was to marry well if you were a woman. And um, men did all this shit with wives and support systems that women don't have. And women are still being wives. Women are still being the support system. And even when they're not, um, a lot of the psychological habits and the socialized habits are still there. So women don't ask for what they need. They ask for less than they need. They don't ask for what they want. Um, I've seen so many women, uh, even in the workplace, try to do so much with so little and patting themselves on the back for it. Um, I think women are incredibly isolated. Uh, one of the impacts of this thing we call patriarchy is that women aren't good with each other. And they're not being supported by men. They're not being supported by the men they compete with at work. Um, they're giving mm -hmm. a lot to their male partners when they're heterosexual. They're uh, uh, being not being supported by women. Um, so they're isolated. They've worked their asses off. They uh, are resistant to receiving help. Um, they feel less than and weak when they are uh, adored, cherished, worshipped, nourished, nurtured, helped, um, anything that makes them feel less than. So this like 
yay, I'm the boss, I'm independent, I can do everything myself, I'm totally self-sufficient, and I'm fucking exhausted, and I don't know how to ask for help in a way that makes me feel stronger rather than weaker, I don't have a support system, I am the support system of everyone I know, I even am the support system of all my friends, I give everyone advice, I make sure that everyone in the community is safe and healthy and at work, and I'm killing it, and I'm, uh, I don't need money from a man, I don't have, I, I don't need anything from anyone. Ah, fibromyalgia or autoimmune disorder or right or infertility issues or a bunch of other things. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, yay! I'm independent. Isn't it bittersweet? <laughs> like, we're, human beings do things. Anything worth doing is really um, worth doing with others. Nobody really does anything great alone. And there's just this huge, especially in America, you know, this like pull yourself up by your own bootstraps mythology. Um, it's total bullshit because every guy who's self-made was actually supported by so many people in ways that are just culturally invisible. Even in the way he gets pat on the back when he's a boy, you know, um, even the way he gets told look what you did. You did such a good job rather than hearing what girls hear. Look how pretty you are. Look how lovely you are. You know, the difference between being rewarded for what you do versus how you are is huge. So yeah, that's my rant on <laughs> my, my rant. <laughs> no, I love it. You know, in fact, I, I talk about the modern, well, I called it the modern female epidemic, which you just described in my, I ju I've just actually recorded like a one hour, my life's kind of work in a webinar that's called the lie of female success and how it's keeping you stuck, unfulfilled and drained. And that is exactly the name or a paraphrase of the bittersweet victor of the independent woman. And I feel like this is such an important message and so many of us just don't, are not aware of it. And once, I mean, I became aware of it on my quest to femininity today. I asked my husband and all the men around, all the women around to do things for me. Like what you said in the beginning, you know, you, your superpower is to ask for help from other people that fucking feels good. And I feel great about it. I'm still working actually on it, you know, because I feel like I have this again, the, 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 the bittersweet victor of independent woman is in me. I feel bad sometimes for even asking my husband to carry something that's heavy and I'm pregnant. Do you know what I mean? And then I have to work through this. <laughs> but it's a muscle. But it's crazy. Oh yes? my God. It's like if, a I, I, if you were my student, I'd tell, tell you to do what I tell all my pregnant students to do, which is <laughs> yes. what it's like to totally, 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 totally take advantage of your pregnancy yeah. how much you can get away with it's like really yeah. like just for the next four months five months <laughs> see what you can get out of being pregnant <laughs> i've been you know i've been doing this and it's been fucking incredible because i'm telling everyone oh i'm sorry like could you help me i'm, I'm pregnant like yeah but why are you saying it like a victim even the way you just said it right now, you should be like, uh, I'm, I'm, you're humans. right. Uh, I'm making humans. Give me that seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my husband comes to people. <laughs> yeah, my husband. So, so this is an exercise because it's new for me as well. I've gone through a terrible first trimester where I just been so, I just went down the rabbit hole. And then now he comes from work when I was doing nothing. Well, do quote unquote doing, he's like, what did you do today? I say, I was making a baby today. <laughs> like he looks at me, he's like, okay, but he understands. So anyways, um, this has been a great conversation, Kasha. I think you should come back to the podcast and we can just talk for hours and hours. But 
unfortunately, we have to wrap up. And I just have one last question for you before we go into you know some of the people you follow and books um, you can recommend. And explain to us, so I love this concept when you talk about power, you are actually redefining what we mean by power and in fact not not actually redefining you're actually defining it for, for all of us because i don't think we understand what it means right now today we think that power is all uh, you know men have the power and we don't have the power and i love how you say that that you know the subdom and your experience in the dominatrix has kind of taught you or you know the, the revelation was it's 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 human yeah, so we can play with it. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It is just power and what we have and how we use it. Now you're teaching women to use it, obviously. But talk to us a little bit about the true, the true definition of power and how can we use it every day in our interactions. Okay, so um, I wouldn't say true definition of power, but I would say a very useful mm. definition of power. Uh, if you okay. use this definition of power, it tends to be very satisfying. Um, a powerful person is one that has powerful relationships and a powerful relationship is one where what you give to the other person, you love to give, they love to receive and they use very well. And what they love to give to you, you receive and love to receive and use well. Um, this may seem super simplistic, but if you think about it, you really take a look at your community and the people in your life, whether they're your professional people, your family people, your lovers, your friends. Um, the greatest power comes from being in this position and having created these relationships where you are essentially the center of a very powerful network where resources are shared, whether they're emotional or financial um, uh, or intellectual, extremely well. And uh, so behavioral economists' definition of power is the person who, or, or a group of people who has the most power, has the um, most amount of resources. This, yes. this really, really, uh, uh, really just shrinks down uh, resources into uh, gas, uh, land, uh, water. <laughs> material resources. Yeah. I'm talking about material um, resources too. Money. I'm talking about emotional resources. I'm talking about in those relationships that are powerful, there's a very generative and synergetic flow of creative ideas, of solutions, imaginations used to build things. Where um, I think one of the worst crimes of the patriarchy is how isolated human beings are. We're very, our, our idea of community is totally destroyed. So this definition, definition of power means you have created and are in a very powerful community of people who are all in powerful relationship to you. Mm. Love it. Love it. So it's transcending beyond us versus them, you versus me, man versus woman. It's how can we how how can we create a win win situation for everyone where we are all powerful, g gaining energy from all of the resources that we share, and and you know resources are not scarce. We create the resources. It's, it is the abundance that we live in. Right. Yeah, I agree. So. I yeah, and, and, and you are teaching women that. So um, tell us, Kasha, for everybody listening, and, you know, are, are you doing workshops only in New York or, like, traveling around the country, or what's your activity now? Um, we mainly do them in New York. The so school's in New York, but uh, we're mm -hmm. starting to do... We, uh, 
I do work. I do travel around the world doing workshops, but right now we're expanding our online school a lot. So, you know, we, we have our verbal self-defense dojo program, which, um, is like mm-hmm. the first step in breaking the moment where women freeze in an argument or a fight or a negotiation. Um, we're about to launch a whole series of other ones. And I travel a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And so where, where, can, where can women go and take um, any of the workshops or follow you online or get to know more? And I feel like your work is so incredible. Everybody, all women just, just need to get that. Thank you. you know? Thank you. I mean, <laughs> the easiest thing to do is just to go to the website, uh, weteachpower.com um, and see what's mm-hmm. listed there. Especially, especially while I'm on my summer travels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love it, love it, and I love that you are branching online as well because there's so much more possibility, opportunity to just. Reach, oh, we're having so much, much fun with our online programs right now because the, the mm-hmm. uh, especially this the first one the 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 training program you basically like get to scream at a screen where a sleazy man is saying shitty things to you <laughs> and you're getting, <laughs> you're getting strategies and tools on what to say back and how and the effect that it has, which is super fun because there's this, the shit women hear all the time. It's, it's, and it's also some things that we hope to never, ever, ever, ever hear. Yeah. It's, you know, so, so, so just one last thing before we go, I was thinking about the work that you're doing and the women who come to you. And I, and I was just thinking like, what is different about me that I don't something because you you teach you know ask with the questions I mean answer with another question put attention on him and since I was a little girl and I guess it was just inherent in me because I was always rebellious I never allowed anyone to cross my boundaries and I think the biggest test for me was with an evil stepmother uh, that I was on a mission to completely subjugate subdue me or dominate and I never allowed it um, and therefore we got into fights into, you know, me leaving the house, her being suicidal, whatever. And then it continued through life where um, I'm, I'm sure I could benefit from the training. Absolutely. And I would love to come to your workshop, but somehow I have this boundary in the defense that you don't, you don't fuck with me. But at the same time, I try to come from a place of love and empathy and even towards men who are trying to, you know, come and I don't Maybe know, you pick me up father. or whatever. I don't know. I mean, my father was very kind of conservative and, and, and I, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking what makes, I guess it's a personality thing or, well, I have to, I had to mature very quickly because my mother passed away, you know, and I was basically left alone since I was eight. Oh, right. So I, 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 had I had to, to figure my very, way very out. Quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So perhaps it's that, but I was just thinking like, I'm a woman, but then why don't I have that? And why, well, I know why I, I do appreciate the masculine because on the other podcast, I was interviewing men about women in relationships and I understood the what you talked about, the wounded masculine and how they are human. And they're, like, they're just so confused now. And what the fuck do I do with this feminism? And how do I support women? And actually there are no re- not many resources for men now. And I just watched this documentary. I don't know, Kasha, if you watched it, the, the Red Pill about the men's rights uh, movement. No. Uh, it's just fascinating. And it talks about all the men, men issues and how, how they deal with it. Anyways, um, so it's been, it's been a great conversation. Let's finish up, Kasha, with uh, some of the people. So who are the people that you follow today? perhaps online or anywhere else, um, you know, for inspiration or kind of, you know, that you'd love to recommend? 
This is so uh, difficult. This is a question that stumps me all the time. (laughs) Really? Why? Because the answer is, I don't. No one. I mean, for the last last five years since I started the school, um, I stopped reading. I stopped Mm -hmm. watching TV. I stopped all media input. I stopped reading articles. I stopped doing research. I stopped... um, Basically, I stopped all incoming information that was not the classroom. I spend most of my time in the classroom watching human beings, um, watching women, watching their habits, watching their body language, learning the patterns, learning how to break the patterns, learning what works. I went on a really severe not just media, but information fast. I wanted to find something that was devoid of anything that I had been, as, as, to create as pure a phenomenological space as possible, as clean a laboratory as possible. If it, you know, uh, there are no books that created what happened in the classroom and in, and in the laboratory of the school. There are no, I mean, Roman Polanski's movie Venus and Furs is fascinating. But it's not, um, actually, I would recommend that people watch that. And I would recommend that people read Cesar Milan's book, The Dog Whisperer, the first one. Um, aside from that, I don't know what, what much else to say, uh, except <laughs> I'm currently writing a book. And I hope when it comes out, everybody reads it. <laughs> I hope so too. And then perhaps, you know, perhaps what I've been doing is exactly the same. I'm creating my own laboratory because I stopped watching news. I'm drained by social media. I can't fucking stand it. I'm not reading blogs. I'm not reading anything. And I I, I think I'm doing the same thing as in like asking myself the questions, talking to women, working with women, being on interviews, like, you know, asking you the questions that create neural pathways. And I'm just discovering it all for myself. Uh, even yeah. the training that I did, uh, yeah. even the training that I recorded and working one-on-one with women, like, because I know if I'm going to go and start, oh my God, research competitors. And I'm like, I don't want to do all of that because I'm just going to get influenced. I'm going to start feeling incompetent that I don't know anything and it's like comparing myself like you know what I'm done with that so I'm just doing my thing yeah also (laughs) also like the the wonderful thing about life is that all mysteries reveal themselves in good time when we put our attention on what it is that we want to know we have all of the answers and the ability to sit in uncertainty and in, in, in ambiguity and feel and allow the truth to reveal itself. Like you have all the fucking answers, you know, like we don't, my body has the yeah, answers too. Yeah, no? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I do believe it's important to seek wise teachers and to respect sages mm-hmm. and to learn from tradition. But I spend most of my life learning and in, in, in very specific ways. And this, especially in, since the founding of the school, it's been really important for me to go very deeply internal and stay very present and stay very, very neutral and as free of influence as possible and as, as, as deeply influenced by what I see in front of me moment by moment as possible. Staying almost like it. innocent of, um, innocent mm. of my past training. Love it. So Kasha, I feel like you're, you're, um, you're like my my older sister in a way on the, on this journey because I know you've you've experienced well I guess I mean I, I don't want to compare experiences but it really 
feels like I could learn so much from you. And I really feel like we've connected on some, some sort of a deeper level, I suppose. But um, I want to thank you so much for coming, for the work you're doing. Uh, once your book is out, I'd love to you know, spread the message and support. And I hope we meet in person one day at one of your workshops or who knows, wherever else in the world. If you're in Australia for the next two years, I'd love to, to meet up. Wonderful. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming. Thank you so much. It was so lovely meeting you. So lovely talking with you. Thank you. Alrighty, how is that? Isn't Kasha awesome? If you live in the US, I highly encourage you to go to one of her workshops. I definitely will try, <laughs> although my journey is going to be, you know, the, the next couple of years I'll be living in Australia, having the baby and everything. But um, if she comes to Australia, I'll definitely um, go to her workshops and her work is just fascinating, you know. It's built on such a contra- contradictory approaches, which are actually not contradictory. Like you would think that, you know, being a nun, being a dominatrix is so different, but she has combined it really well. And I love women who come up with their own system, are not following um, many people. And like her, her work is also based on dog training and stuff like that, as you noticed, as you've heard. So if you enjoyed it, which I'm sure you did, please, please karmic, charge your karmic sexual energy <laughs> and share it with a girlfriend, share it with any woman you know, because this is such an important um interview to for all women to listen um if you send her to girlskill.com slash 76 uh, or just share this episode straight from your podcasting app just go to the options and then click share uh it will lead you straight to the show notes here's where you'll find also all of the links to everything kasha mentioned and uh, i think that's it and all the tools and resources you'll find there Thank you for tuning in to Girl Skill. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher to never miss an episode. And never forget that your version of success is uniquely yours to live and experience. Until next time, let's continue redefining female success together. Girlskill.com. Female success redefined.